Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. Um, I do preaching the same way that I do leading worship, which is terrifying for pretty much everybody involved. I go in with half a plan. <laughs> so that's why I carry so many books and Bibles. I, I probably have like, you know, uh, let me say it this way. The, I'm going to give a little bit of my story and then we'll jump in. But um, the most important thing I could give you as a tool for your life is start journaling today. I don't care if you're 70 or you're seven, like start journaling. And it's like, we're not talking about Dear Diary today. I'm like, it doesn't matter what you write down, just write something. I probably have about 200 journals from the time I was uh, 18 years old, 17 years old. Several hundred journals at this point, if you include the half done ones that are like, oh, I didn't, I decided I didn't like that journal. So I like, you know, just got rid of it and got another one. Like in the sense that I didn't like the way it felt. You know what I mean? Stupid stuff. Like, I didn't like my writing in that one. That drawing's dumb. That, that journal's true. I'm going to get a new one. And it's like, um, it really is the most important tool that I can give you. Like, of anything in my life, now being a 40-year-old man, um, I'm like, from the time I, I can literally go back to what I was thinking at 18 years old and read my own words. I can go back and go, yeah, that, because some, uh, some people have a really hard time with that. Because they're like, I write down stupid things. I'm like, yeah, of course you did. You're 18. You know what I mean? You're 20. You're 30. You know what I mean? You're like, you're still figuring stuff out. And uh, um, this is fun. That's kind of fun. It's the little things in life, really. Sorry. Yeah, I know. I'm like, don't worry, guys. I'm good. Um, and the thing is, is that you got to start to appreciate your journey and appreciate your story and appreciate your narrative, especially the really stupid parts, especially the parts where you you thought you knew what you were talking about, and today you absolutely are sure that that was wrong. Like, that's the beauty of a journey. The beauty of a journey is not that you start it, like, you're never going to arrive in Christianity. There's no arrival date. There's no marker. Oh, I got the microphone now. Jake must have arrived. You should believe every word that comes out of his mouth. Absolutely not. I'm mostly a heretic. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, in the sense that I don't know what I'm talking about, and neither do you. You know what I mean? Like... If your goal is ever to be right, you're automatically wrong because there's no real, there's no real chance that we're ever going to get this right. And I think the further people get along in their Christian journey, the more they realize that's just true. We just have to receive people where they are and just enjoy their journey with them. So often we're trying to get people onto the same journey that we're on and we wonder why the thing is so screwed up. No wonder we have 20,000 denominations in the church right now. And, and you're wondering why people are getting divorced in the church? Well, that should make perfect sense. The church have been, has been divorcing one another for 2,000 years. If you want to start ending divorce in the church, then you might want to start ending divorce of churches. Just because you disagree, it's not an opportunity to plant a church. <laughs> it's an opportunity for conversation. And I, I guess for me, it's like I just... I'm, and I'm a guy who's like, I am very passionate, clearly. And I'm like, definitely going to argue a point or go like, hey, here's my thoughts. But I love being around people who can go, oh, I'm going to push back on that. Because some of the stuff I'm going to share this morning, I don't, I'm not, I don't care if you think I'm right or not. Because you may come up to me and go, I disagree with that. And I'll be like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know? 
And so it's like, that's great. I'm glad you disagree with it. Maybe you'll just go home and read your Bible more. That'll be awesome. And then we all win, you know? Like if I provoke you into something, then we all win. Because my journey in Christianity has been a really interesting one. It's been a very, like I've been in full-time ministry for almost 22 years now. So I, uh, I started my first uh, ministry job inside of a Baptist church. And then from a Baptist church, we planted an emergent church by accident. Um, out of the Baptist church, we plant, it was a college group that was 60 that grew to about 600, 700 in six months. So it was like, and it was all new believers. So that's always fun. And I'm, you know, 19 years, I'm 20, 19 going on 20 at that point, And it is like highly dysfunctional. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't need 20 year olds counseling marriages. Okay. It's like, yeah, um, I think you should stop being stupid, you know? And then I realized that advice still stands. You know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, yeah, that actually, that was probably the best marriage advice I ever gave somebody. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I would just stop being stupid, you know? And now I have to look in the mirror on a regular basis. It's like, if you were just stop being stupid, your wife might actually draw her heart to you. Um, and so we did that. Fast forward, got married. We had two kids um, 15 months into our daughter being born, our oldest daughter. I have three kids. I have an oldest daughter who is uh, now 15. I have a 13-year-old son and an 11-year-old son. Um, at 15 months, my daughter was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. She wasn't walking, and so we noticed something was wrong, went to the doctor, went through six months of a process that was just wild, found out she had cerebral palsy, um, and uh, to this day, she's in a wheelchair. Um, she's probably, she's 15, but she's probably about, I think we've had her, uh, just psychologically, she's probably about eight years old, nine years old. She's like, I mean, who doesn't want a little girl forever? You know what I mean? So I got, I think I hit the jackpot because I still get to buy my 15-year-old dolls and go to American Girl doll with her and have tea. So I feel like, um, I still feel like there's a, a win. Um, but there's all of a sudden, uh, well, okay, fast forward, uh, three weeks later, my wife is, already, is still is pregnant with our second child, um, our little boy, and we get a call three weeks after our daughter gets diagnosed, we get a call that our son is going to be born with Down syndrome. And um, if, for those of you that don't know anything about how you test for Down syndrome, all they do is test it for, by blood work. They give you a, a diagnosis and then tell you, basically, we can abort the child or, which is an, or you could do an amniocentesis, which is almost the same thing because you have to go inside the sac to take blood from the baby to actually prove it, which usually causes a, a miscarriage. Um, or you just wait it out and then we'll check the baby when they're born. So we still had another three months or so of basically sitting in this place of our daughter just diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Um, we now don't know if our son's gonna be born with Down syndrome. And I have been a pastor for six years. And I'm like, God, you suck. Like, genuinely, you are awful. That's the way I felt. And I was like, and the truth is, is I'm like, either you're really evil or you're, you're something I don't understand yet after being a pastor for six years. Because what I realized after being a pastor for six years, I was letting people read the Bible for me instead of reading it for myself with my own perspective. Like God actually loves your perspective on scripture. Yeah, that's why he gave you the living word of God. It's why he put the Holy Spirit inside you, the discerning of spirits, the discerning of truth. He actually put inside you. And if we're honest, all of us in this room actually know what truth feels like. Like even wicked people out here know what truth feels like. I mean, that's the C.S. Lewis thing, right? You go to a murderer and you tell them, you know, he's, gonna, he's murdered X amount of people. And you're like, I'm going to go stab your mom. And all of a sudden, they're angry. 
Well, why? If nothing's evil and nothing's wrong, why are you mad that I would do that to your mom? Isn't anything okay? Anything goes. No, because inside of us, we have been wired to know that things are not good and things are good and that there is truth and that there is lies and we actually feel it, sense it, and know it everywhere we go, even if we've taught ourselves to deny it. Like you don't have to wait for us to preach on it. You have this inside of you. And I believe everyone, say everyone, Everyone. is created in the image of God. Not just the people we like. That's fine until you start going, yeah, 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 but the people in Iran that are blowing stuff up, they must not be their evil. Wrong. They were created in the image of God and God loves them as much as he loves you. That's where it gets weird. Do you see what I'm saying? That's like offensive to most Christians. They're like, yeah, yeah, but there's some people. And it's like, no, there's not. They're all created in the image of God. They are all absolutely created in the image of God, all absolutely 100% loved. He does not love them less. Like, I don't love my kids less when they act wrong. Right? There's not a measure of all of a sudden, I love you less. I tell them, you're putting blocks in between the depth of our relationship but I don't love you any less. You might be trying to block our relationship or build walls through wrong, through the way that you're acting, but at the end of the day, I still love you. And so I was like, either you're an awful, you're just awful, or there's something I don't know about you. That led me to a um, long, long story of going to uh, a church called Bethel in Redding, California, and then buying a plane ticket from Sacramento to Kansas City and going to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City all within seven days. Spent three days at one, three days at the other, and everything changed in 2006. So in 2006, everything changed for me where it was like, oh, I didn't know God was this big because I had no charismatic background. I didn't know there was such thing as 24-7 prayer. I didn't know anything about a priesthood. I didn't know. And all of a sudden, I realized it's it's not God's fault that I don't understand God. It's mine. That was my responsibility, and I was waiting for somebody to teach me about a God who gave me all access to himself. And I was like, oh, man, I should have joined this a long time ago. So then I start preaching it like crazy. That's not good inside of a Baptist church, which I found out very quickly, or at least an emergent church with Baptist roots. So I was like, oh, that's kind of a bummer, because what happened is I really loved the word and I loved the spirit. So I had this upbringing of like, no, the word of God, the word of God, the word of God. And now I'm exposed to the spirit of God, the spirit of God, the spirit of God, the movement of God. And now I'm like, oh, I'm going to bring these both together. Because although I don't know now, I'm going to go after God super hard, which led to um, us planting a house of prayer, which was 24-7 for uh, about a year and a half. We did that for three years, then got signed to Jesus Culture, then started traveling, and then just getting exposed to the body of Christ globally. And so all of a sudden, for the last 12 years, we've had like... Literally, I think for six months, we had a paycheck in the, last, in the last 12 years. We just have lived completely on faith, complete reckless abandon to God, complete just we're going for it. And we don't ask for things when we come. We just go, hey, if you want to take a love offering, that'd be great. That would be so sweet. We like rarely ever know what we're making anywhere, which has made it super fun. <laughs> you know, and I'm being totally honest. You guys, I have the craziest financial stories that are like you... It's like you get, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. 
Like just, just at the end of December, there was like an invite to go do this thing that was like supposed to be really, really awesome. And all the people were going to be there, you know, all the important Christian peoples. And they like said, we're going to pay you this much monies. And I was like, I just couldn't because it was like right before Christmas. And I was like, I just need to take a month off. We usually take December almost completely off. And I'm like, I just need to be home. And so we end up, I'm like, I just have to say to no to this. Like, so I end up saying no, like I just need to be home. I felt like it's a little bit of like a test where you're like, okay, I'm just going to family first. Like we're doing the family. Like, you know what I mean? There's times where you're like, no, I believe it. But then you get opportunity. It's amazing how many good opportunities lead people astray. You know, just because it's a good opportunity doesn't mean it's a God opportunity. And we have to be aware that those are two different things. There are so many good things that God gives us that he's actually, it's a test. Like, do you, what do you want? Do you want me or the stuff? Well, I, I want, we end up going, I want both. So we pursue the stuff. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I, I want both. I want the stuff too. No, no. I want God. That's it. End of story. Whatever comes out of it, I don't care. Dude, I kid you not, the next morning, a check came in the mail from someone who was not even connected to this ministry, this stuff, this thing, for the exact amount that I had just turned down. And so, like, for all, I, I'm just saying that for all of us. Like, don't wait for the good decisions or the good opportunities. Wait for the God moments and then jump in. And for us, I'm telling you that because that's defined pretty much the last 12 years of our life has been, let's go after God. Do you see that's that's gonna that's gonna get me hurt? I tried to play it off. Did you like how? Did you like how smooth that was? It was like. It's like I'm good. Don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I'm gonna break my ankle. I'm still tired from yesterday. <laughs> At least it's this tall. You know what I mean? Like, I watched my friend. He fell off a stage. It was awful and awesome. All the, you know. When you're like, oh, oh, he's okay? Dang, that was funny. You know, he was like, <laughs> he was literally at Jesus culture and he always preaches like this, which I'm like, dude, like you're asking to get hurt. Cause I'm like, I mean, here I'm doing it cause it's this. But most of the time I'm like usually drawing on a board or something. I'm pretty far away. This dude preaches like this everywhere he goes. This stage was seven feet tall. It was huge. It was a theater. And uh, Nathan, like he literally was like, he's like, and then the Lord. And it was like, it was immediate to the ground. And it's like being videoed. It's like, you know, 4,000 people. I'm like, dude, how do you recover from that? You know, because I didn't see it until later because I'm watching the video. And I'm like, dude, how do you recover from that? He's like, I didn't. I just ended the message and moved on. He's like, there's no recovery. He's like, unless I'm going to make it an illustration. So our point is, is simply that we've lived this way of faith for so long that I just, I feel like, I feel no apologies to call you into radical, obedient faith in Jesus Christ, regardless of your circumstance. You have no excuses. Jesus paid it all or he didn't pay it all. He, it's, we sometimes live as if he paid for part of it and then we're supposed to fill in the blanks. As if our obedience can compensate for Jesus' lack. He lacks nothing. He paid it all. 
everything he's already paid for. So there's no reason based on your social economic status or your relationships or your opportunity or your age should ever, 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 or your gender or your race should ever give you less opportunity when God paid it all for all. Every human being, every single background, every gender, every race, all for all. And it's not all for some. It's not all for partial. I've got to do this. And oh, if I just call people, you know, I got, and then we got to make sure everybody behaves. Why aren't you behaving better? I must be bad at discipleship. Jesus, if behavior is the goal of discipleship, Jesus sucked at discipleship. Right? Like if behavioral, if like, if we're looking for behavior modification and calling it discipleship, Jesus was awful at it. Peter, he's just denying it. He's, I don't know that dude. And then, then he's lopping years off. But then you've got, then you've got John who's supposed to be, you know, I mean, they're arguing over who gets to sit by you. There's still pride at work inside of them. Then you, we don't even have to talk about Judas. You know what I'm saying? It's like, this, this is the reality. And then you got Thomas who's like, you know, doubting everything. He's like, well, maybe we just jacked the whole thing up. I don't know. You know, I mean, I saw some cool things, but who knows now? I mean, you guys, we are setting the bar higher than Jesus Christ. Did you hear what I said? We're talking, we're trying to get people to behave, not to get saved. We'd rather, and honestly, if we're honest, we'd rather them behave than be saved. Because we'll choose the one who behaves well and we'll put them on the stage. If they, listen, if they perform well, we will put them on the platform. But that dude who's a hot mess, who really loves Jesus... Nah, dude, he doesn't clean up well. Did you, did anybody there yesterday, who was there yesterday? Who, who stayed and watched Brian Head Welch? He was my favorite. He is the hottest mess. I love him so much because he has no filter. Because he doesn't care what you think. He's not trying to impress you. We're still trying to impress one another. Hey, I got a four-point message. It's going to be very clean, very safe. You're going to have no questions afterwards. I'm going to give you lots of answers. When Jesus left everybody confused and bewildered about who he was, and then he left them in their mess so that they could clean it up. You're like, no, that's not what he did. Absolutely. Remember the woman caught in the act of adultery? This is Jesus' big advice. Okay. She's naked in the dirt in front of Jesus. All the accusers are gone. Jesus doesn't walk up to her and go, would you like to join my church? He doesn't say, you know, um, I'm going to really need you to get some inner healing and um, get delivered. um, And then you can come follow me. He doesn't say, hey, go to the local. This actually would have been custom was go to the local synagogue and get yourself cleansed. You need to be ritually cleansed. And then you can get it. I mean, this is all the religious stuff he could have said. What does he say to her? Hey, that, that wasn't a good idea. Let's not do that anymore. All right, have a good day.
We're like literally trying to get people to repeat a prayer and to behave before they actually know that we like them. That's not called salvation. That's called a sales pitch. I just FYI, I don't remember when I prayed a prayer. Like there's no marker moment for me. I don't even know if I did. I might need somebody to pray for me after this. <laughs> but my point is, I prayed a lot of prayers over a lot of years, and they all look very desperate, and they all require me to go, I don't know what I'm doing. God, please show up. Be the Savior of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Be king over everything in my life. Oh, I've made lots of confessions, but I'm working out my salvation over the course of a lifetime. And because I see it as a journey and I see it as a story, I'm allowed to have ups and downs and I'm allowed to enjoy all of it. Because I know who's God of all of it. And if we would stop putting so much pressure on everyone, maybe they would actually want to come hang out with us. Because if they know they, be, if they, know they belong, they'll learn to behold, then they'll want to behave. Because behavioral issues aren't about discipline as much as they are about distraction. Right? Like sin, like if you see sin properly, you'll end up seeing it as a distraction, not a distortion and not like, oh, I'm such a horrible person. Right? It's just in the way. Because what, okay, let's just take it to the natural. I want a good relationship with my wife. If I am looking at porn every day, guess what I'm not going to have with my wife? Okay, now is looking at porn sin? Absolutely. It's adultery. 100%. Don't play games with it. Jesus says if you look at a woman lustfully, it's adultery. So if you're looking at porn in your marriage, you are committing adultery. Okay? Look, you're not an evil person. That also doesn't work. Oh, I must be evil then. He just said I'm operating in adultery, so I must be evil. No, you're a broken human being. Did you expect anything less? Why would I need Jesus if I wasn't a broken human being? Like, you know what I mean? I messed up. You're messed up. Woohoo! We would have a lot more fun and we'd be like, hey man, we're all messed up. It's so good. Like, how are you? Yeah, hi, I'm Jake. I'm messed up. It's really great. Great to meet you. Really messed up. So awesome. Yeah, that's sweet. You're messed up too. Sweet. We should hang out. Like, I actually know the guy who likes messed up stuff. His name is Jesus. That's so awesome. Do you know what I mean? So my point is, if I want a real relationship with my wife, I have to get rid of distractions. Now we could start calling them, we could call them what they are, which is sin. And then we could feel guilt and shame and try to discipline our way out of them, or we can start to understand the real narrative, which is I actually want that out of the way, not because I'm trying to be a better Christian, but because I want a real relationship with my wife and a real relationship with my father. Amen. It's just in the way. Do you see the difference? Yeah. One is motivated out of fear. The other is motivated out of love. I don't want a distraction in my marriage. I don't want a distraction between me and God. I don't want to cheat and steal and do all the... You know, I'm getting rid of them because they're distractions, not because I'm a bad person. I mean, I'll take it really far just because I want to mess with your head theologically. So for those of you that think... So because for me, I don't really believe in original sin. I actually believe we were taught, we were taught sin. I believe what we're born into, for all have sinned and fall short. Amen? But I believe it's a taught trait. I believe it's things we actually impart to one another that actually, that actually create selfishness, create sin inside of people. Does that make sense? I don't have time to go into it through a bunch of verses, but I've been processing this a lot. Because here's what I actually believe. You're actually really good inside. 
No, I get that the heart has wickedness and deceitfulness and it wants to go astray. Yeah, that's the flesh. But I believe the soul inside of you is actually really awesome. How do I know that? Because my God is really awesome and you were created in his image. Therefore, he called it very good, which means you cannot be wicked. At your core, you actually want to do this right. Which means I don't have to talk you into it. I just have to reveal it's possible. Does that make sense? Like, I just give you an opportunity to do something radical and ridiculous and step outside of your comfort zone, and all of a sudden you're like, I didn't even know that was in me. I go, yeah, that's crazy. That's actually your father inside of you. You get to participate. I was, uh, <laughs> none of this is actually the verse I wanted to get into, but um, I'll end with this story, because this is like, this is our journey. Like, I just want to expose the church to lots of stuff that they're not thinking about. Most of the time. I feel like that's my goal. I'm not, a re- I'm not a revivalist at all. I am a reformer. I want to see the whole body of Christ shifted into what it was always created to be like. Because if we don't have reformation, because reformation is for the church, not for the streets. It's actually not. Reformation is a term where the church is reformed into who it was always meant to be. Like we're trying to get back to the garden. Amen. What began in the garden is going to end in a garden. So let's try to get back to the garden. We're, we actually need to see reformation in the church so that we can see revival in the streets so that we can have a renaissance where everybody gets to participate. So if we have reformation in this church, in a church, like, okay, how many of you want to see revival in Phoenix? Okay, great, great, great. No, no, keep your hand up, keep your hand up. That means like what? Thousands of salvations, right? Okay. Do you understand? How many people are in Phoenix? How many are in Phoenix? Five million-ish. Okay, five million-ish. Does anybody know how many churches are in Phoenix? Five million. I like it. I like your style. You're not quite the South, but you're almost there, you know, because they have six million for five million people, which doesn't work out all the time. Um, But let's just say you have thousands of churches. Amen? Amen? Something really big. If half the city got saved, if God gave you what you're praying for, you would destroy the local church. So why hasn't he answered the prayer? Because he actually likes you. God, give us revival, tons of salvations. Okay, where, where are they going to go? If this part of the city saw revival, this building isn't big enough. So we have to see a reformation, a new wineskin built that's bigger than our buildings and our gatherings in order to love and care for and disciple, not behavior modify, disciple people so that they actually become apprentices of Jesus Christ. That's what a disciple is. A disciple is an apprentice of Jesus because I'm trying to take on his likeness. All I'm saying right now is some of the prayers we're praying, we think they're bold and in faith, but we're reproducing models that we've been taught because they actually self-promote. Just, and it's, listen, listen, do you understand me? That what I'm saying is, then what you get is you, now, if you see this, if your eyes open to this, you get two choices. Burn down the local church, which is what some people do, right? They go, yeah, Jake's right. Tear this thing down. Blow it all up. Destroy it all. Pastors must be evil. And it's like, well, that's, no, I didn't say 
any of those things. <laughs> you probably already had anger in there and now you have some issues you need to work out. We'll get to that later. There's also another road which says this. There's another road which David sat at this crossroads. Do you remember this? David gets the Ark of the Covenant back. It had been missing from the people of God for 20 years. 20 years. And they finally get the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, literally the only manifest presence of God on planet Earth. They get it back. And does, does David take it and put it back in Moses' tabernacle at Gibeon? He takes it and he puts it on Zion in Jerusalem where everybody gets to worship 24-7. Everybody can be in the presence. Everybody can participate. He broke the entire book of Leviticus. He should have been stoned. Do you know that? He should have been killed for what he did at the tabernacle of David. And what does God say? Man, that's awesome. Let's do it again. That's Amos. Right? Because here's what David did in 1 Chronicles 16. He didn't say, now I want you to go to Moses' tabernacle and burn that to the ground because we're not doing that anymore. We're doing this at Zion. Burn it down. He says, no, 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 no. There's another path. In 1 Chronicles 16, he tells the Zadok priesthood to go back to the tab tabernacle at Gibeon and continue to minister there with no presence. Yeah, yeah we're going to keep doing Zion, but you guys go back to Gibeon and keep ministering because the Lord never told us to stop. See, we keep praying for a double portion, but we don't realize if the way to get one is to honor what God did by continuing to do it and allow those who are being blessed by it continue to have that opportunity while doing the new thing that God's doing on planet Earth. So we're blessing the old, living in the new, and now look at David's continued generational line. Look at Solomon. Then what Solomon does is an actual double portion. He takes the instruments from Gibeon, the presents from Zion, and builds the first temple. It's an actual double portion. My point in saying all this stuff is that we have to understand the part that God's called us to play. We have to understand the reality that God's called us to live in so that we can bless what God did, live in what he's doing, so that our kids get something better than we ever dreamed of. And if we do it this way, we all, the whole body wins. There's no systems and structures we should burn to the ground. They're all awesome. That's why it's like, this is our lives for 12 years or so. It's been playing a stadium, playing a small local church, then go do like a school that's like, you know, really, really small, and then go do like a house church, and then maybe play in someone's backyard, and then do like a, you know what I mean? Because God is in all of it. The point is not to yell at your brothers and sisters. It's to figure out which part you're supposed to play. And not wait for somebody else to do it, but step up. Because if there's something you want to see in the body of Christ that's not currently happening and nobody else is starting it, guess what that usually means? You're supposed to start it. Here's the piece I just want to get into. I'm going to end with this. Because so I'm going to jump into this for a second. I'm going to be in two, ver two sections of scripture. It's, it's uh, uh, Ecclesiastes 3, 2 and 3, and then Lamentations 3. Because Lamentations is super encouraging. 
And in fact, let's start, actually, let's start in Lamentations. Here's what I want you to do, is I want you to do this. Look at Lamentations 3, verse 1. It says this. It says, I am a man who has seen affliction. Here's what I want you to do. I want you sometime over the course of today to just make agreement that your story isn't wrong. Did you hear what I said? That you didn't get a bad story. You just need to make agreement that your story is your story. Be vulnerable and learn to be authentic. Because here's what happens at the beginning of, of Lamentations. He goes, listen. I've been hurt. I've been through some stuff. You guys, pretending something didn't happen and calling it faith is just denial. That's just denial. It's not faith. Can I, please. Just pretending it didn't happen is denial. Admit that I didn't get treated right. That hurt me. I didn't like that that happened to me. I am a man. I am a woman who has seen affliction. In fact, look, he goes on. He says, under the rod of his wrath, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh. Who is the he, by the way? Look, I'm going to let you theologically figure this out later, but I will promise you that in tons of scripture, there is loads of things that happen to people which we would deny that it's God, and it is absolutely God because there are things in our lives that we do not understand in the fullness of time. I, here's what I would tell you. I would not be standing in this room leading the songs that I lead if my little daughter's legs worked when she was born. reconcile that. I met a woman in Brazil just recently and I, uh, at the end of this year, I got melanoma cancer and I had a nice, I have a nice big scar to prove it. And I got melanoma at the end of the year, had to get it removed. But in the process between knowing and getting the removal and getting a good report, it's a good report. It's all gone. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's good. So we're, that's why my wife was so pissed yesterday when I was sunburnt on my head. She was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, Please, wear a hat. So pray for, pray for me, saints. Okay. Um, but I, in between, I go to Brazil. And I'm like sitting in this. And of course, I'm like, anybody who will pray, I'm finding them. You know what I mean? And this woman had a double mastectomy, had 47, 45 treatments of radiation. Gone through hell with cancer. She grabbed my hands. And she said, I'm going to pray for you, son. She's this mom. She's, I'm like, Okay. <laughs> And she said, but I want to tell you this. People ask me all the time, don't you wish it didn't happen? Don't you wish God would have just healed you? And she said, absolutely not. Cancer was the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. It showed me more about Jesus than I've ever experienced in my whole life. And if you have it, you will survive it. And you will be better for it. But we're going to pray that you get healed. Because we can pray in faith and you can be healed. But we will receive from God whatever he has for us. And we will accept our story and believe his goodness will come from all of it. And I was like a mess. Because there's parts of our stories that we just reject. Well, that can't be God. Well, that can't be God. You guys, when you see a billion years into the future, how can we talk about What's God and what's not? We don't know. 
We absolutely don't know. I mean, even Kanye being there yesterday, he compares himself a lot to Nebuchadnezzar. Everybody's like, no, he had a Paul moment. It was a Paul conversion. And if you watch any of his interviews, he's like, absolutely not. Like, I, 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 I experienced Nebuchadnezzar's story. He said, I told the world I am a God, so God took my mind. He's bipolar. Diagnosed. Bipolar. He said, God took my mind. And then when I had a moment of clarity and I chose him, he gave me my mind back. So who took his mind? Who took Nebuchadnezzar's mind? What do you do with that? I don't know. I'm not telling you what to do with that. Please, I'm not trying to speak to you and put a hard line in the sand theologically. What I'm doing is saying, he, just rethink your story. Because you're allowed to go. I've seen, I'm a man who's seen affliction. But I'm going to go down, and this is the two parts that I want to just wrap up with in the sense of owning the, the story so that we can receive God in all of it, even the really hard bits, so that we can become the church that we're supposed to become, so that we can play the part we're supposed to play. He's doing something in the church he has never done before. Do you understand that? Isaiah 43, he is doing a new thing. It's nothing like the old thing. He's not going to repeat himself. He's doing a new thing. Can you see it? Can you see it? That's what he's asking us. Can you see it? And if you can see it, then you get to participate in it. But you can't participate in it and then bring part of your story. You've got to bring all of you. Because Jesus, he gave all of himself for all of you. So this is what it says. I love this. Keep going. It says, I love, it's just one of my favorite passages. He drove arrows into my kidneys. That's encouraging. Especially for a guy who's had kidney stones a few times. It's just delightful. Bless the Lord. <laughs> I have become the laughing stock of all people. You guys, sometimes humiliation is the gateway to humility. Then he says, I have forgotten, verse 17, I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. Then in verse 21, he says, but I call this to mind and therefore I have hope. Guys, two verses earlier, he said, I have no hope. I've forgotten what hope is. Two verses later, he says this, I remember, therefore I find hope. What is he saying? I'm taking into account not just the parts of my story that are awful. I'm taking into account the entire story as a whole and remembering the parts that God showed up and I didn't even know if he was there. He says, hey, hey, I know that I'm saying dramatically I have no hope, but I just thought about my entire story and I remembered, therefore I have hope. And then it goes into a verse we normally attribute to the Psalms or to the Proverbs. And here's what it says. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who what? Wait. Can I just tell you this is the suckiest part about the Bible from beginning to end? (laughs) Just from beginning to end, the Lord wants to tell you, slow down. He says, slow down. He's telling your church, slow down. 
He's telling your leadership to slow down. He's telling your families to slow down. He's telling you, you can never out-accomplish me. You can't outgrow me. You will grow in time because I am the one who brings the rain and I am the one who brings the sun. And I will bring them in due season, not because you worked harder, but because I willed it. Because those who build the house labor in vain. Unless they submit themselves fully to the pace of the Lord and not the pace of culture. Uh, I want to read a couple of things. This book has transformed my life. This is the first book I read this year called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. But I want to just... Look, it says this, a recent study found that the average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,600 times a day. Each user is on his or her phone for two and a half to three hours over a 76 session uh, period. (laughs) And that's just smartphone users. Uh, Another study on millennials puts that number at twice that. In every study, though, that we've read, most people surveyed said they have no clue how much time they actually spend on their phones. Why am I telling you this? Here's what's crazy. In the year 2000, before the digital revolution, in the year 2000, the, the, um, uh, the average, um, what's it called? Uh, attention span. The average attention span of a human being was 12 seconds. Now, today, it's eight seconds. P.S., just to give you context, the attention span of a goldfish is nine seconds. Can I just tell you that hurry is not from the devil. Hurry is the devil. The most satanic thing that can happen into your life, in your life, is to think that you're behind and that you are playing catch up. That is the most satanic thing that can happen in your life. It is the most anti-Christ spirit that we can ever fall into to think that we are behind. Here's why. God is where you are, not where you wish you were. And here's what it says in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 24. It says this. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and in drink, in drink and find enjoyment in all of his toil. Can I just read that again? It says, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in all of his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. And then it goes to this. Then it says, the verses we all know. For everything, there is a season. See, what is he saying? He's saying you can't speed up seasons by working harder. You don't make it. I have said this so many times. You should not be able to buy freaking strawberries in the middle of winter because they don't grow in the winter. You sh- we get upset if we go to the grocery store and we're like, Whoa, what the I don't care if it's December. I need strawberry shortcake. Give me my strawberries. We want store shelves full of every opportunity because we don't ever want to submit to a season again. 
We don't want to ever be told what season it is. But we are always, do you understand that this is how culture got off? You guys, have you ever read these stories about people getting up at 5 a.m., like 4 a.m., 3 a.m. with the Lord, and you're like, God, what the heck? Well, if you remember, most of those people lived before there were light bulbs, which means they went to bed at 7 o'clock. So, of course, they were up at 3. Do you get what I'm saying? Guys, what happens is we don't ever turn off the lights anymore. We don't ever enjoy the darkness, and we don't ever embrace seasons. We stay up too late. We, we bought into artificial light over true light. And we're wondering why we're so confused and we're so out of season with God. It's why we're so frustrated. Because we want him to be on our timetable. And he says, you have to submit to the rhythms and the seasons that I set on course from the beginning and called good. There was night and there was day and it was good. Day was not better than night. I set all the seasons in course. The world, the world spins on an axis I put in place. Therefore, submit to it, not just to religious systems. Because there's a time to plant and a time to pluck up. A time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast stones, a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silent, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. What gain has a worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with, and he has made everything, listen to this, he has made everything beautiful in its time. So that story that's still unfinished in your life, you know what the promise of God is? It'll be beautiful in its time. Amen. Why don't you stand up? I'm going to pray for you. God, we submit our stories to your story. We submit our stories to your seasons. We submit ourselves to you because we trust you and we love you and we know that you have our best intentions in mind. That God, you're not acting and reacting selfishly from an unparticipating place in heaven that you actually are participating with us, weeping with us. You are enjoying with us. You are crying with us. You are eating with us. You are drinking with us. You are laughing with us. You are crying with us and that you love the entirety of our story. There's not one part of our story, even the most broken, abandoned, abusive parts, you are going to make beautiful because the one thing you kept in your life was your scars. You didn't resurrect and deny your scars. You resurrected, kept your scars and showed them off as a price that you had made it through death and you had made it through hell and that you had gotten the keys back to your life, your story, your narrative, and you were putting the entire story back on course because you are God. And I believe you're going to do the same thing in every life, no matter how tragic their story is, no matter how much trauma, how much abuse, how much brokenness has, has invaded their life because someone else's mis, mis, uh, because misuse of power, someone else's misuse of freedom. God, that you are going to take everything and you are going to make it beautiful in its time.
and we submit ourselves to that time. We submit ourselves to that season. We submit ourselves to the new season that we're in for the church. We submit ourselves to it. We don't fight against it and try to sustain things you're no longer sustaining. And we also don't try to burn down things that people are finding beautiful still. God, we submit ourselves to the story you gave us and we don't try to get other people to believe our story and we don't try to get our story into somebody else's story. We love the story you gave us. We love the heart that you gave us, the family you gave us, the city you gave us, the community you gave us. We were born in the right place at the right time with the right family in the right community to bring you the most glory with our story. And so, God, we agree that you gave all of yourself for all of ourself. Every part of my story matters to you. You're not asking me to deny it or write it off. You want me to fully embrace the fullness of my story, invite you, and I'm then not to invite you into my season, but God, I want to hear the invitation of heaven to get in back into sync with your season and I know that that's going to require me to slow down and so I accept it before I even say it I accept that you're asking me to slow down that you are you're inviting me into the slowing and that verse we just end we be still and know that I'm gone that hurrying up never got anybody to know more about Jesus Christ it only led them farther away. So we submit ourselves to seasons and times. In Jesus' name, amen.